I would like to welcome Professor Neil Poulter here in Milano at the European Society of Hypertension uh, Congress when the new guideline is going to be announced. And uh, I remember last time when we were in London at the Imperial College and we made an interview with you. Uh, we remembered back to the Escott trial, which uh, was, if I may say, a turning point with regard to how we look at the treatments. How do you see the development of guidelines and, uh, and treatment in general in the last 10, 15 years? Well, interestingly, in retrospect, obviously having been involved with the ASCOT trial, you didn't realize that it was going to make the impact that it has. But I have to agree, I think it has. And if you think of it in terms of the impact on guidelines, the big changes in the guidelines have been about the idea of the fact we're appreciating you need two drugs at least to control blood pressure for the vast majority. That's brought in the idea of initiating therapy with two drugs. And ASCOT was really the first trial that compared two different combinations of drugs. And it was the first one that highlighted the superiority of the new agents over the old agents, particularly as combinations. Because interestingly, ASCOT was originally called the Anglo-Scandinavian Combination Treatment Trial but we were persuaded to change it to cardiac outcomes trial, but it was designed as a combination trial. So combinations are in, I think. Single pill combinations, if they're available and cost-effective, are being encouraged because it improves adherence. So from a guideline, the two things that I think several guidelines have come together really is initiating therapy with two drugs, and as far as possible, use single pill combinations. And what classes do you think emerged in the last 10 years coming from ESCO trial? Well, exactly, as you say, the, it was the ACCB which was so effective there. And that combination was recommended by the International Society of Hypertension Guidelines 2020 as their go-to combination. They also said um, ACE diuretic is a possible combination and in certain populations there's good trial evidence there's good trial evidence that that combination works. So uh, RAS blocker, so ACE diuretic or ACE-CCB, dihydropyridine CCB, are the two combinations recommended in the European guidelines and if you read the small print in the ISH guidelines as well. So for my money, they're the best two combinations. And if we choose and if we pick uh, ACE inhibitor and diuretics, which diuretic do you suggest and in which cases do you start with uh, ACE and diuretic combination? Okay, well, I, I, think, I think importantly, within any class, I think we should be using the long-acting versions. And the longest-acting ACE inhibitors are perindopril and trandolopril. Trandolopril has very little evidence to support its use for morbidity mortality. It may be good, but we don't know that. So my money's on perindopril as the longest acting with lots of trial evidence of cardiovascular prevention. So that's my ACE inhibitor of choice. From a CCB point of view, same story, long acting CCB and that's amlodipine with the longest action and the best randomized trial evidence. And diuretics? It's the same story. I want the longest acting drugs. Now I think clothalidone has probably got the longest action, but it's like like the high-dose thiazides, it's got a fair bit of um, metabolic downside to it. So of the thiazide-like diuretics, which I think some of the guidelines have gone towards, uh, and I support, British guidelines have maintained that, 
and we did in ISH as well, go for thiazide-like diuretics, you've got indapamide or chlorthalidone. Chlorthalidone is very effective. It's long-acting, good trial evidence, but it has got metabolic downsides. Uh, indapamide, on the other hand, is four major morbidity mortality trials to support its use. Um, in the slow-release formulation, I like indapamide SR 1.5. It's metabolically very good. So that's my favorite again. So back to a question, uh, when do you prefer ACE plus diuretics instead of ACE plus CCB to start with double therapy? Which patients? I think you can use, I think you could use either probably, but if you go with the evidence, then the ACE plus diuretic was used in the PROGRESS trial. It was used post-stroke. So they're the two obvious cases and uh, in the elderly as well. So very elderly patients, high vet, post-stroke progress trial, and advanced diabetes. And so they're, they're the three where you've got obvious evidence uh, and in randomized trials. So those three subgroups would be a no-brainer. What do you think about triple combinations? Well, I, I mean, increasingly in favor of them. The evidence from trials yet isn't clear, but as a concept, I like the single pill combination idea. There are some studies going on at the moment with some triple pills using um, a RAS blockade, calcium channel blocker, and diuretic. And I think the idea of initiating with three drugs at quarter dose with one tablet, and then go to three drugs half dose with one tablet, then three drugs at full dose with one tablet is fabulous. The patients will love it. It's only one tablet and it's simple. It's, you don't have to think a lot. If you haven't reached the target of one month with a quarter dose version, double it. After a month, double it, etc. But again, this is all, it's, it's, it's not proven yet, but I think that will increasingly become the way we'll move. What does the new guideline say about double and or triple combinations? I don't know. I have not yet been exposed to the guidelines, so and uh, I wouldn't be able to say so if I had. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we know that uh, the blood pressure monitoring is also very important. And uh, even in the last guideline, but presumably in the new one, there will be a higher stress on uh, the home blood pressure monitoring. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, blood pressure monitoring in general and what can the society do uh, with regard of pushing, encouraging people? Well, in many ways, we should probably have started our conversation with measurements, shouldn't we? Because if the measurement's poor, all the rest of it becomes nonsense. We've got to get stable measurement. And you're dealing with a blood pressure variable that goes up and down all the time. There is huge variability from beat to beat through to over six months, the sort of variability. So that long-term variability. And if we don't measure it properly in the first place, it just makes a mess of everything we do. So I think the way we move is to trying to standardize things. Cuff, cuff size is so pivotal. The number of cases I see where spuriously high pressure because people have got big biceps or fat arms, spurious high blood pressure has been misdiagnosed. So let's get the cuff size right, measure it, in a standardized way but if we are to go outside the clinic and i think we should then i think the increased use of home blood pressure measurement and ambulatory pressure is going to be pushed covid brought out the need so many of us had to run our clinics virtually that meant that we were able to use patients who got their own machines 
we lent them out from our clinic. And interestingly, they're cheap. So even in a lower socioeconomic status clinic where I work, most of our patients could afford to buy the machine and do it in a standardized way. So I think home blood pressure monitoring will increase in its use, as will ambulatory, uh, and will use clinic pressures, if you like, perhaps more just as a screening tool rather than as the be-all and end-all. Thank you. Thank you very much for the conversation. Pleasure. Thank you.